Let's pray and we'll get rolling. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we jump into your word today. Lord, as we come together, I am asking you, Holy Spirit, for an extra uh, dose of grace both for me and for the congregation today as we deal with a topic that may hit home in ways that um, can trigger, elicit uh, some painful memories or thoughts. And so, Holy Spirit, I just, I would ask today that you would immerse us in you in a way that as we leave this place, we'll know that we've been met by you. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. A couple days ago, uh, I, I could not sleep through the night. I, I don't know, there was just a post-nasal drip or something. I, don't, I coughed and hacked the whole night. Uh, poor Cindy. And I woke up the next day and I just said, Cindy, I am so sorry. I know I had to have just kept you awake. I appreciate you not putting your pillow over my face. I, thank you. And uh, she said... Kenny, it is okay. Um, a few days ago, I wasn't feeling well, and you didn't do it to me. I've received grace, and I'm extending it to you. <laughs> and I appreciate that message. In fact, I would take that message and extend it out a little bit further and say this, that we have received this grace from God that you and I are sinners, and we... we we can't earn our salvation, and yet, uniquely, God was willing to come in the flesh. He was willing to die on the cross for our sins. He was willing to raise from the dead and give life to anybody who would call on him. This God gave us something that we couldn't earn, and for all who call on his name will be saved. And the reason I bring that up is because I have received grace. I want to extend grace. I'm asking that if you have received grace that you would extend grace. We're going to talk about a topic today that can be very painful for some. There are, within this congregation, I'm guessing a myriad of views and experiences on the matter of divorce and remarriage. And Jesus talks about it. And because Jesus talks about it, we're going to. Now, here's the reality. Jesus lived in a context that we are unfamiliar with. Jesus was in a situation that is different than our situation. When Jesus spoke, he hit the target 100% of the time exactly the way he needed to. And it was recorded in scriptures for us. And there is a target that Jesus was aiming at, and he hit it. And today, even within our congregation perhaps, there are outliers, situations that maybe are a little different than what Jesus was talking about. And it's worth addressing today. And that's what we're going to do as we walk through the scripture. As I said, Jesus was dealing with a very unique and specific context. Oh, by the way, sorry, this is what I wanted to show you. Uh, grace, we all need some. So we're starting with that. Uh, <laughs> can I have grace from you? Yeah. I'll give you grace as well. All right? Fair enough? Fair enough. All right. Well, Jesus was in a specific context, and the, the context in the first century was Second Temple Judaism. In Second Temple Judaism, two schools of thought emerged, two specific rabbis, Hillel and Shammai. Hillel and Shammai taught how to follow the Word of God. In other words, what we should do. 
And one area in particular was this issue of marriage and the issue of remarriage. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse, verse 1, I'll, I'll just, I'll read it. It's not up on the screen today, but I'll read it for you, uh, was really the focus of the intent. And this is what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, that's the first part, she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, indecency, another term, by the way, that's not just adultery, that term is used a variety of ways and has kind of a, a, a big definition, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and then it goes on, and if she remarries, blah, blah, blah. But it was that issue of not finding favor, it was that issue of uh, indecency that was at odds from two schools, Hillel and Shemai. Hillel, both, both of which were before Jesus' time, just before Jesus' time. In fact, it's very likely that Jesus would have met, and uh, there are some who even believe, perhaps, that Jesus was in one of those schools, at least of thinking. The school of Hillel held a little bit more of a lenient view. He would say things like, you can get a divorce for any indecency, even if the wife burns her food or if the wife talks ill of her mother-in-law. There is a divorce. A divorce is possible. And that sounds awful to us, and it certainly is. But I would say this, that his view was more along the lines of harmony. He believed in the absolute sanctity of uh, marriage, but his view was that of harmony. So he was saying, here are your boundaries. You be careful because divorce could happen anyway. Like this, this could be legitimate. But this marriage is ordained by God. It is something beautiful. So seek harmony. Don't allow this to happen. So that's the view of Hillel's, the house of Hillel, the school of Hillel. Shammai had a little bit more conservative view a very, uh, a very specific view. He would say that the sanctity of marriage is absolute and there should be no divorce whatsoever except for perhaps adultery. And so these two views were at odds. You can imagine as it becomes more and more popular in society. And now Jesus is in a Jewish context, but in a greater context of the Roman Empire. Within the Roman Empire, it becomes a pluralistic society where there are a lot of views and a lot of things going on specifically about marriage and remarriage and what was legitimate and what is illegitimate in terms of marriage and remarriage. And that's the context that Jesus finds himself in, uh, in Mark chapter 10. If you, don't have, if you haven't turned to Mark chapter 10 yet, I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, if you need a Bible, we have some in the back. If you raise your hands, one of uh, our team members will happily bring you a scripture. Love to have it. Uh, love to have your Bible open in that. If you don't have a Bible and you use your phone, that's great. We trust you, right? I can trust you, right? Okay, I'm going to extend grace, right? Okay. Uh, you can use your phone, your device if you need to. But we're going to be uh, in Mark chapter 10. As you're turning there, let me remind us of what this series is. The series is a series called Kingdom Logic. 
We started this series because we saw that when Jesus enters into humanity's existence, right? When he shows up in the first century, he takes the worldview or the common mentality of the world and he flips it upside down. And he says, actually, everything, most everything that we value, that we see as important is upside down in the kingdom of God. The things that are important in the kingdom of God are uniquely and dynamically different than the kingdom of man. And, and Jesus uh, teaches that in a variety of ways. He does it, obviously, with his words. Uh, he does it with his actions as well. And we're going to see this laid out in front of us as we walk through Mark chapter 10. Here's an outline of where we're going. Kingdom logic rightly confronts worldly logic. Kingdom logic rightly confronts worldly logic. We'll see that in the first few verses. Kingdom logic rightly reflects on God's original intent. What did God originally intend for us? Kingdom logic rightly quotes God's word. That's a key, rightly quotes. Kingdom logic uh, rightly affirms God's plan. And kingdom logic rightly teaches others. In other words, it's not just for us, it's also for us to share with others. Well, with that in mind, let's jump right in to the first point. Kingdom logic rightly confronts worldly logic. Now, <clears throat> again, in a, in a culture that is pluralistic, in a culture that has um, uh, uh, divisions built within it, Jesus is going to come in and, and he's, not, he's not super aggressive on this, right? Like he's, he's not looking for opportunities to fight. But when it comes to him, he also doesn't back down. Watch how this plays out. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as, as was his custom, he taught them, and Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, let me pause there, test, that's a great word, it, it just means to prove. It's uh, amoral. It, 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 doesn't mean, uh, it, it doesn't mean that he is, they're, they're uh, seeking something mean. It also doesn't mean that they're seeking something good. They're just testing him. They want to prove him. Does he know what he's talking about? Uh, is, is he accurate? Which school is he going to lean into as he teaches? It's not necessarily bad, but it also could be something bad. Uh, it, it could also be a dividing point. It could be a way for them to come in and go, hey, wait a minute. Look where Jesus lands compared to the rest of us. It, he could be doing that. It could also be they're gathering information. Hey, we're going to go to uh, Herod and tell him what you believe on this issue of marriage and divorce. Uh, that would be significant because Herod had no problem with divorce and remarriage. So he's set up. Now, let me ask you how you feel when you're set up, whether, you, whether it's on purpose or not. Do you feel a little tense? Wait, where are you coming from? What are you getting at? What do you want to know? Like, right? Like we get a little defensive. And we don't see that in the attitude and action of Jesus. Watch how he, uh, watch how he responds in just a moment. So they come to test him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful? Well, what do we see in this? We see that, first of all, kingdom logic is available. Uh, Jesus doesn't run from it. Oh, who let these guys in? Uh, wait, this wasn't my purpose. He doesn't do that. Kingdom logic is available. Also, kingdom logic is ready. So in other words, Jesus 
he has spent his time studying this thing. He knows this stuff. He's prayed about this stuff, and he's ready to engage when it comes to him. He's not going to run away. Now, I would, I would say this for us as we're exercising kingdom logic, as we become available. Hey, we're not seeking this out necessarily, and we're not looking for fights, but sometimes these things come to test us. What do you believe about this thing? What does this mean to you? How do you address this? Uh, well, uh, we, we are available, and we begin to discuss it. But we also need to be ready. And there may be some times when we don't feel ready. And let me give you a, uh, a, a, a I don't want to say it, a uh, uh, skip, uno, reverse, I don't know. Uh, but this is, this is what I would encourage you if you feel like you're in a spot where uh, you can't engage, to simply say, let me get back to you. Hey, I, I maybe don't have the answers right now, or maybe I don't have the time right now, but I want to get back to you. Maybe we can set up a time right now to do that. That's a, a, great, op- a, a great option for us as believers, as we sometimes get blindsided by a variety of things. But for Jesus, he's available and he's ready. Keep going. Kingdom logic rightly reflects on God's original intent. Kingdom logic rightly reflects on God's original intent. Perhaps you've heard me say this, I don't know how many times, hundreds of times, that because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, uh, Eve gave in and so did Adam, and there was the fall, there was a break in the image of God, a shattering in what God had originally intended. Perhaps you've heard me say that, that in these places where we seek satisfaction, significance, and security apart from God, that is sin. But it is also the world system. We say that a lot because that is the original, that, that's what happened in the beginning. And that system is still enacted. It is still a, uh, a, a foundation that is built on in our world. And it's important for us to recognize original intent. That's original intent uh, in terms of sin, but there's another side of it and God's original plan. Let's read verses three through five and watch how Jesus engages in it. He answered them, what did Moses command you? Brilliant question that Jesus asks them. They ask, what do you, what do you think about divorce, right? Like, is it lawful? And Jesus goes back to their source, Moses, because for the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai, they would have been very familiar with Moses. That's who they primarily wrestle with. And Moses is like, he, he's a prophet. He's the, this, he gave us these laws from God. So Moses is a big deal. What did Moses command you? So he goes back to their, uh, their sources. They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So they respond to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment, because of your hardness of heart. So he gets back to the intent. Hey, uh, that, that wasn't the goal. Remember, in Deuteronomy 24, lost favor. Well, why would a husband lose favor with his wife? because of a hardness of heart. You know, when your heart starts turning hard towards your spouse, it's easy to find a variety of uh, indecencies. 
she did this, he did that. That's not fair. This isn't right. We're not on the same page. How can you do this? Why do you think that? When we lose favor. And Jesus goes back to the, uh, again, the foundation. This is an issue of a hardness of heart. It was never God's intention for divorce. Continuing on. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Pause there. So we see a few things in this passage that Jesus is affirming. He's affirming that in the home there is a father and a mother. That that is God's original intent that in a, in a home there should be a father and a mother. Again, he's aiming at a target, and he hits that target. I recognize there are outliers, and we can talk about those uh, as we need, when we need. I'm happy to set up a meeting and clarify some things. But Jesus is aiming at a target, and he hits that target. In a home, there should be a father and a mother. That is God's plan. That's his original intent. And that a husband, a man, should leave the authority of the father and mother with his wife, a man and a woman. And you say, well, well wait a minute, uh, what are you saying? I'm saying that Jesus affirms a marriage that is male and female. He is identifying what, what holy sexuality is and that that holy sexuality is a part of a holy union and marriage. You say, how do you come up with that? Well, that's fair. Remember, he lives in a pluralistic society. He is under the umbrella of Rome. Jesus, the Son of God, has the opportunity to say anything he wants. He could have redefined it. He could have given uh, permission for it, but he doesn't. He affirms God's original intent. Male and female, a husband and a wife, that they come together and the two shall become one flesh. It, it almost, and he goes on, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. It, he almost hearkens the daily prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was a reminder that this, this God of Israel is the God of all and that he is united, he is not divided, he's, he's not schizophrenic. Uh, nothing like that. He, he is one and he is united and he is over all. And by implication, he is saying that this, this two, this husband and wife, they come together and they form one and they are under this authority of the oneness. Jesus in John 17 prays for his church. And when he prays for the church, he says, Father, make them one as you and I are one. Now, again, he's talking about the church, but by extension, that is certainly true of marriages that they become one under the authority of God and in God's plan. Jesus takes the question and goes back beyond Moses, the giver of the law, to God's original intent. What did God have in store? What was his plan? Some things that we want to pull out of this when we look at original intent is first of all, that we are created in God's image, God's likeness. There is something beautiful about the masculinity of the husband rightly under the authority of God, walking in unison with the beauty of femininity rightly under the authority of God, created in his image. 
for a purpose and a plan. To not be alone. I, I love that oftentimes in, in uh, wedding ceremonies, I, I will quote the passage. It is not good for a man to be alone. And I just wait for everybody to say, amen. <laughs> it is not good for men to be alone. <laughs> uh, friends, <laughs> is that good? Uh, and God, in his goodness, in his love and his care, and at the peak of creation, and keep that in mind, this is the peak of creation, he creates woman. And the beauty of the two coming together, not, not just for uh, physical intimacy, but also spiritual intimacy, relationship in ways that uh, are different than Adam is Eve and in ways that are different than Eve is Adam and they come together and they become one. They, they walk beside each other. That's an important piece. Remember, she comes from his rib to walk beside, not his head <laughs> to have authority over and not his feet to be stepped on, but walks beside with him from his rib. It's a, it's a beautiful picture that the Hebrew gives us. Additionally, it's to follow God's plan. It's, it's to follow God's plan to be one. So Jesus rightly reflects on the original intent of the Father. Additionally, kingdom logic rightly quotes God's word. Have you ever heard somebody misquote God's word? We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's look at this. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. He goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and quoting that scripture back to the Pharisees who were asking what his belief is. Jesus doesn't just make up something. He goes back to the original intent of God, engaging in this, in this worldly logic, and gives them God's word rightly. And that's the key, rightly. He applies God's word rightly into the situation. Perhaps you've been in situations where people uh, wrongly misquote or apply God's word we're going to address that in, in uh, greater detail a little bit later, but let, let's pause and look at this. Misquoting scripture leads to bad places. And we see it right from the very beginning. Remember, it's Satan who misquotes God first. Did God really say that? And then he kind of makes up something. No, he didn't say that, see? Uh, Satan deceives on purpose. And that's his goal, right from the very beginning. If he could take God's word and just twist it a little bit, maybe just misquote it here, maybe put some emphasis here instead of where it was intended. If he can just misquote it, he can lead us to a place of death, a curse, which is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. And then there's Eve. And she doesn't misquote on purpose, seemingly. Hers is innocent, but she does misquote God. Uh, she goes on to say, uh, not only can we not eat of it, we can't even touch it. <laughs> you sure about that, Eve? There is a doubt now. The movement of misquoting Scripture takes us to a place of a curse. We want to be careful of that. Kingdom logic rightly quotes God's Word, which again reminds us the importance of God's Word that we can quote it. And we have access to it in ways that the world has never known remarkable ways. Someone said to me recently that uh, in today's money, if we were to have 
uh, some, or I'm sorry, in the first century, when a group of believers wanted to have uh, a book written, like uh, Romans, as an example, it may be as much as $5,000 in today's money for one book. The access that people had to the Word of God in the first century was very limited. You can imagine how, uh, how important it was for them to have God's Word and the great sacrifice it would take for small congregations of maybe 5, 10, 15 people uh, to have access to the Word of God. To purchase it. And, and we have it so available to us, there's almost no excuse to misquote God's word. Let's keep going. Four. Kingdom logic rightly affirms God's plan. Kingdom logic rightly affirms God's plan. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So again, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, Jesus has the opportunity to say something different, and he doesn't take that opportunity. He affirms God's original intent, that they would be one, united. And so, we may mistakenly affirm some things. If we misquote scripture, if we uh, aren't careful to affirm what God has, we can mistakenly put it on us. Here are some common things that I often hear, and I want to address it right now. Uh, the first one is this. God just wants me to be happy. Uh, in, in the context of marriage, I don't think that God wants you to be unhappy in marriage. That, okay, so let's just get that out of the way right from the very beginning. God is not saying, okay, you're married. Be ready to be unhappy for the next 50 years. Hey, that. That's not the plan. But sometimes we affirm something that isn't true as if from, you know, priority, I don't know what it is, 7, 8, 10, 20, 100, I don't know. And we take that priority and make it number one. It becomes a problem. God's intent for marriage seems to be to make us holy. That's why he uniquely gave it as an option and put it aside for his good glory, that this couple would rightly reflect, as Ephesians 5 tells us, Christ, the husband represents this Christ figure, the wife represents the bride, the church, and that these two, when they walk in unity, somehow give this beautiful testimony of this God who loves us, who extends grace, who cares for us. This couple who the husband extends grace to the wife and the wife extends grace to the husband and the two walk side by side on this journey together in God's plan and will is a beautiful thing and a testimony for all. God's desire is for holiness and he often uses marriage to do that. And if you don't believe me, you can have a conversation with Cindy about dealing with a coughing, hacking husband in the middle of the night and extending grace in that place where she had to look at God and go, okay, God, uh, I need some help because I would also like to sleep. Now, that may be a silly illustration that we could take out a billion different ways. It can also be the sacrifice of serving one another as we prepare a meal, as we do dishes, as we uh, care for our home as we provide places and spaces for one another to sacrifice, to give a sacrifice to the Lord and a benefit to our spouse. 
that's an act of holiness. So when we say, I want a divorce because I'm just not happy, that's illegitimate. That's illegitimate. Moving on. They're not my soulmate. This is a dangerous ground to walk on. When people will say things like, oh, you know what? We tried it. It didn't work out. We thought maybe it would, but it turns out that's not my soulmate. Oh, I found my soulmate now. That is a dangerous ground. Again, we're taking a priority uh, that is way down the list and putting it up top. Because what does it even mean to be a soulmate? Well, one person said, this is the right person for me. That's, that's my soulmate. But I would go back to the vows that are spoken. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, till death do us part. I've done several, <laughs> several, hundred weddings. I have never forced that on anybody. <laughs> I've never had to. Uh, every person that has been there has not been forced by the bride. The bride has not been forced by the groom. I just, uh, I give those words. They repeat it, not just as an act, but as a vow, a solemn vow before God. And when that occurs, guess what? That person is your soulmate. Done. That's it. When we enter into that holy act of vow making, we are then entering into a time where we are absolutely identifying that this is God's person in my life. They are my soulmate, the right person for me. Sometimes it gets tricky when we go down this road of God has this one person for me, and yeah, we tried it for a few years, it didn't work out. Mm. Uh, they, they didn't make me happy. They're not really my soulmate. I'm going to go find my soulmate. Careful. Dangerous, dangerous ground. Thirdly, they do not fulfill me. They do not fulfill me. Again, a dangerous ground to walk on because let me suggest this. Your spouse was not designed to fulfill you. They're incomplete in that area. Also, surprise of surprises, we are not designed to fulfill our spouse. That's God's job. God uses us in many ways, but that's God's job. And there are those places where, yep, hey, we've been doing this for a long time now, <laughs> and you're not changing in that area, and I'm not changing in this area, and it seems good to the Spirit of God, so maybe this is the place where I have to extend grace, and you need to extend grace, and in that place, maybe we both recognize that there is a God who is on his throne, and he loves us in this place, and it's okay. God is the one who fulfills us. Marriage is intended for holiness, and because of that, uh, we want to affirm God's plan. One man, one woman, till death do us part. Uh, that's God's plan. Jesus had a target, and he hit the target. There are periphery issues out there. I recognize that. They should be addressed one at a time. These three things that I've addressed, these are illegitimate reasons for divorces. Let's keep going. Kingdom logic rightly teaches others. So that is true throughout the scriptures. Go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. That is my call. That is your call. We all have that call to take the grace that has been extended to us and give it to others. I've received it. I give it to others. 
this salvation that has been given to me. Uh, I want others to know about this salvation. So I'm going to share it with others. I'm going to teach others. And similarly, uh, we see this with Jesus and his disciples. Starting in verse 10. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, this matter being divorce and remarriage. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, the, the, the greater context of this throughout Jesus' teaching is that adultery is a legitimate uh, reason or grounds, I'll say, for divorce. It's a grounds for divorce. It doesn't force divorce. Remember Jesus saying it's because of our hardness of heart that divorce is permitted. So adultery is a legitimate grounds for divorce. Also, abandonment is identified. Abandonment is defined, though, uh, by Paul when he says that if there is a believer and an unbeliever who are married, and the unbeliever does not like the faith of the believer and leaves, it is a, that, like, that, is, that is permission for divorce. So we have these two reasons given to us in the New Testament, adultery and abandonment, and specifically abandonment for our faith. So uh, let's keep looking at it. Here's some practical advice. As we're talking about teaching others, Jesus teaches his disciples. He calls all disciples to teach their disciples. Uh, we want to teach the next generation coming up that they would have uh, the, the, the knowledge and the wisdom of God as he's given it to us. Here's some practical ad advice. Seek to be right with God. Sometimes... Sometimes we'll see that people are very interested in relationships and they're lonely. And I get that. Being by yourself it can be a very lonely thing. It can be a very heart-wrenching thing. Uh, it, it could drive us to places of depression. I, I understand all that also. That is not number one on the list. God is number one on the list. So seek a right relationship with God. There's a guy, his name's Tommy Nelson. He's a pastor in Texas, in Denton, Texas. And he likes to say this, run after God as hard as you can. And as you're running after God, look and see who's running at your same pace. Grab their hand and run with them. It's a beautiful picture. And I would say a right picture. If you're seeking marriage, make sure that you've been seeking God first. Secondly, Seek relationships with someone who is godly. There are few things more painful to me than having those difficult conversations with people when they come into my office and they go, and very honestly, it's most often uh, a young lady and a man. And the young lady grew up in the church, loves the church, and wants to marry this man who, yeah, he says there's a God but he rarely is in church. Now, I recognize these rules can be flipped, and they, they are sometimes, but most often, it's this way. And there's nothing more painful to me than going, I, it doesn't appear to me that you have an interest in God, certainly not, not like the one that's been displayed by your partner here. Why would you want to get married? And you've all heard the excuses, I love him, uh, uh, he's, uh, he has something sweet, he cares about me, he thinks of me, he's kind, whatever it is. 
But we see in the end that often there's a big division, and that's their faith, and that's a pretty big division. So start with someone who's chasing after Jesus just like you're chasing after Jesus. Three, if you're married, let me encourage you, find a marriage mentor. We have marriage mentors at Friendship Church, but there are others outside of the church that we could certainly direct you to. Uh, I, I think that it is so powerful to have somebody who can speak into your marriage. Because here's the reality. By the time someone comes into my office and says we're having trouble, they're really having trouble. Like, most often, it's pretty bad. So if, if marriage is on the straight line, instead of coming in at 1% off or 10% off, they're coming at 180. Well, well, that's really tough. That's really hard. Find somebody that can speak into your marriage, who loves you and cares about you, who, who, who can say right things, who you can trust. They care about you enough to speak truth and love. Find a marriage mentor. I remember... Uh, Cindy and I, we, we have a marriage coach, and from time to time, we connect with them. It's been a while, but uh, we'll connect with our marriage coach because we recognize, it, okay, hey, we, we don't have to have deep issues. We can just have a little bit of a, one degree is really hard to tell. And to have somebody who can speak into our lives is very valuable. It's helpful uh, to know. Uh, as an example, uh, Cindy and I, early on in our marriage, we after we had had seven kids. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, after we had had seven kids, we found ourselves having these conversations. Cindy would be in the kitchen and I'd be in the living room and I'd be working on something and she'd be working on something. I'd say, hey, what, what's going on with your day today? And she'd say, oh, I, you know, I'm just busy. I'm taking care of the, this matter and that matter. Hey, Kenny, have you uh, gone and got new plates for the car. Oh man, I, I forgot about that. And we're having these great conversations in different rooms. We sometimes called them walking conversations because we were, we were walking and doing things. And uh, our marriage mentor, he, he goes, um, that's so good that you talk to one another. Let me make a suggestion. He said, you know what? Your wife, I believe, would love to see your eyes. Instead of walking and having conversations side by side, why don't you look at her face? And while you're looking at her face, tell her something. Tell her something positive. If there are issues or things, you can deal with issues and things, but make sure that she sees your eyes. Because there is something that happens when humans look at each other's face and look at one another's eyes. There is a level of intimacy that is uniquely given to humans that's not given to most of the animal kingdom. Their eyes are out here, right? They're looking for predators. Oh, what's going on? Nope, ours are right in the front. There's a level of intimacy that happens there, and our marriage mentor identified that. What a beautiful thing that we could come together, and regularly uh, we meet, sit across from each other. We call it coffee time or even date night, and we'll sit across from each other uh, and just talk about some things that actually matter. That is one of those one-degree shifts that is super helpful in marriages. Four, practice honest dialogue with your spouse. Not mean, not painful, just honest. It, it should be truth, and it should be love. You hear me? It should be truth, and it should be love. We shouldn't go to our counselors or our mentors or our pastors and have conversations about our spouse that we haven't already had with our spouse. 
So there can be some coaching that maybe could occur. Hey, I, I need to address this matter with my spouse. Can you give me some words of wisdom? How should I do that? That's fine. But that's different than the complaining part, right? The frustration. And that's what needs to be addressed. So take time to have these conversations and watch and see what God will do. Let's extend a little more grace. Within this room, I'm willing to bet that there are a lot of, a lot. There are some people who perhaps are outside of the target that Jesus was aiming at. And today, you may even have some additional questions. There, there may be some um, open wounds that occurred because of this discussion, and I understand that. But let's talk about them. Let's extend grace to one another. Um, we, we're not beating anybody over the head with the Bible. We don't want to wound anybody with Scripture, but we do want to be honest about what Jesus says and address it in a biblical and in a thorough way. So, again, if you have any questions, let's talk. Some action steps for all of us. Consider areas of your life that the world has influenced. So even beyond marriage, what are some areas of our lives that the world has influenced? Just like the discussion in the first century from Hillel and Shammai, these are, these are discussions that took their attention onto Moses' words instead of the original intent of God. So what are some ways that the world has influenced uh, our thinking, especially areas on topics of marriage? How does Jesus want to meet you? Memorize Mark 10, 7 and 8. In what areas do I need to confess, repent, and seek Jesus? So perhaps you're in a place where you go, you know what? I recognize that I have walked outside of the boundaries that God has given. There is one unforgivable sin, and it's not divorce. The unforgivable sin that I'm speaking of is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. Divorce can be forgiven. God can meet us there. He can take what was uh, illegitimate and make it legitimate, perhaps. If we need to talk about it, again, I would open that conversation. And then, fourthly, are you willing to confess to Jesus? Are you willing to repent? And are you willing to seek Jesus? Those are important elements as we move forward. And that brings us to a time of communion where all of us remember the grace that's been extended to us, that we're sinners and need a savior, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he conquered sin and death and rose from the grave. At Friendship Church, you'll notice there are four stations in the room. Uh, we practice what is called open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of Friendship Church, but you do have to be a member of the greater church, meaning that you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Communion affords us an opportunity to pause before the Lord and ask difficult questions. One, am I a follower of Jesus? And two, is there any unconfessed sin? If there is, then we confess that sin. If we repent, that means turn away and turn towards God. Four stations within the room. We would invite you after a time of, uh, 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 of examination to go to the carpeted areas, go to the station that's nearest you, and return back to your seat uh, in the outer aisle and back around. At the end of the next song, Pastor Jason will lead us uh, in communion. Join me as we pray. Lord God, thank you for your word and that it's true.
Thank you, Lord, for uh, your gentleness and your grace. And um, Lord, I, I would just pray today for anyone who is wrestling with this matter. I, I pray for uh, your clarity of mind and heart, for humility as we walk together, for anyone who is, um, Lord, looking to see and to better understand your word, I, I pray that you would help us to dig in, to rightly apply it, to affirm your words and not our feelings, and that you would be exalted in all things. We love you, O oh Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.